psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catherine. Why is it? Okay. Like, I know I'm, like, kind of out of shape. Not kind of. Like, I am out of shape. That's Not as much as I was, yeah, I was like, 15 minutes, week. 15 weeks ago. But why is it that fucking, those fucking stairs? And, like, the walk to the end of the hallway is, like, brutal. God. Like, what? Oh. I like to spread out. Why is this so quiet here? Hi. Why do I sound so loud all the time? All the time. You not sound so loud anymore? Hey, it's me. I don't sound so loud. (laughs) (sighs) My thing is that when I get excited, I lean in. Yeah, I do too. And we, <laughs> we we're really bad at that. We should have learned that by now. <laughs> Probably not to do that. We're working in radio. We're really bad at that. <laughs> I know. I know. Or I turn away to look at stuff and I'm like, and then, and then, and then. No. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. Okay. I think that should be good. I think so too. I got to. So every time I come in here to do this, I have to pull up a picture of who I'm talking about. I feel that. Okay. All right. Okay. You ready for this? Yeah. Ooh, that would have been so sad. Oh, baby. Okay, ready? Oh, mine's mine's got a little bendy. Hope it doesn't explode. Oh, I was going to take that one, but I didn't even pay attention where I put them. Hey. Oh, my God. That is my... Cheers, babe. Cheers. Did you like how I put them in koozies? Oh, my gosh. Mmm. I needed that. Yeah. That's good. After that workout. How was your workout? It was great, and then I rolled up into Mancino's Pizza and Grinders. Dripping with sweat. My hands were still shaking nice. while, while I like lifted my water bottle and was like chugging it. And like a couple other people gave me the side eye because I was like dripping sweat. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm here to get some pizza. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't well, announce it like that, but that's what I was there for. You should have. Should have walked in and been like, here pizza. we go. Pizza. I'm going to get pizza out on my plate so I don't keep opening this box open and closed. Oh, that's smart. And I have like a tiny little space over here. You remember what it's like, so. Yeah. On the soul side. There. That. That. And we get some. Get a bread. Some sticks. Is that is that what the cool kids call it? I have no sticks. idea. I'm not a Bra. cool kid, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you can call it whatever you want if you say bra afterwards. Mm-hmm. Is that. I feel like I'm in 2004 right now. That's fine. 2004 was a great time. Can I have another stick? Yeah. Just so we don't have to. Keep I don't have to yeah. interrupt you. Yeah, I know, right? I'm just gonna get a couple. I'm not even playing around. Like I'm gonna pile it up. Yeah, it's fine. Mm, this one. This is really good. Good. So hello. That's weird. Hello. This is a. I guess it's special for us, but not really for you guys because you can't see. But we're <laughs> eating pizza. We cracked open a winner who didn't pick up his prizes as beer. That's right. What's up? And we're just having, this is off air with Emily Petrin. It's just another episode. It's pretty great. Um, we normally record, like, in the mornings. Yeah. So Emily was very kind to wait until after my workout today. Because if I ate this before my workout, no way I was rolling up in there. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, big old pizza. Mm-mm. So explain to me and our friends what you got. What I got? To eat. To eat. Okay, so I got a personal pepperoni pizza, and I added black olives because nobody that I love likes black olives, basically. I don't know. Um, So I very rarely get them, or I have to put them, like, on the side and, like, add them additionally, Mm -hmm. which is not the same. No, it's not. Um, And I got some breadsticks because 
The sticks. And the they're, sticks, bro. they're cheesy and brown, and I love that. Yeah, they're really good. So, yeah. And I got a chicken bacon ranch pizza, personal pizza as well. Is it good? So good. So back home, mm-hmm. um, so I'm from southern Michigan, and there's a place called Sailor's Pizza. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they it's kind of like a Little Caesars pizza type of deal where it's like real cheap pizza. Okay, is it ready? No. Okay. But it's just like, it's just real cheap. <laughs> and so like. Love that. My brother and I would get it. I would get it if I if like my mom was going out a night or whatever, mm-hmm. or if I was going to be home alone, or if we had friends over or whatever. Like that's what you got. Yeah, totally. That's what we do with Little Caesars here. So like with little kids and like growing up, it was always is great. Mm-hmm. It's not as great now that I'm older and have a, <laughs> a better <laughs> idea of what good food tastes like. But it's right. still re- it's still really good just because I I grew up on it. Mm-hmm. So they have a chicken bacon ranch pizza and. We, I mean, I make it sound like we got pizza all the time. We didn't get pizza all the time. We got pizza every once in a while. I like, felt like it was once a in a blue amount. moon. And so, when my little brother and I would go and like visit, and we would go visit my grandma or something, and my mm-hmm. mom was there, or whatever, and they're like, "Oh, we don't have any plans for dinner." Jake and I are like, "Let's get some Sailor's Chicken Ranch pizza." Yes, and it's, that's this is better, but it's that's what it tastes like. It just tastes like home. I love that. <laughs> It's great. Aww. So, yeah, I'm going to. Was that just your go-to place, like, for cheapness? Or, mm-hmm. yeah, did you have a go-to place for deliciousness? Um, I know it's tough. That was, that, honestly, that's kind of just where we went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we had Pizza Hut right down the street. Mm-hmm. But if we were going to get pizza, we yeah. were just going to get. Because usually if we were getting pizza, we were going to go to, like, Family Video and get a video, which Family Video is right across the street. Oh my so it was gosh. just like it was that like is if we just were like the Little Caesars here. Yeah, if we were gonna get pizza, mm-hmm. we were gonna get Sailor's Pizza. Man, mm-hmm. okay. There was a pizza called Red Door Pizza in Mitchell, Indiana, where my grandparents lived, mm-hmm. and um, I never really liked sausage on my pizza as a kid. But they would, yeah, it wasn't like sausage, little sausage balls. They would grind it up and like add it underneath the cheese, mm. and I freaking loved it, mm-hmm. and I always wanted it. And um, even though I was little, I was a weird kid, whenever we would get Red Door Pizza, mm-hmm. I would um, sing Paint It Black by the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, like a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I remember I would always be so excited because where I lived um, with my parents, we lived out of town. You couldn't get pizza delivered. Yeah. So it felt like foreign to have a person show up at your door with food. Mm-hmm. It was so strange. So I would, like, jump on the bed just in, ex- like, just waiting so excited. on pizza to get here. Yeah. yeah. My Rolling Stones pizza. When my little brother was born, we were, we, my parents got a house built. Like, they built a house. Mm-hmm. And it was just after he was born when we were able to move in. And that was the same thing when we, we lived there for five years before my parents got divorced. Mm-hmm. And that was the same thing. We were out in the country, so nobody delivered. Right. And it was like. Yeah. Um, like, for. 15, my first 15 years of life. Mm, oh, no. <laughs> okay. Um, for my first 15 years, we lived way out of town where no one would deliver anything. And then yeah. we moved into t- into town, close to town, where, like, one pizza place would deliver by us. And it was kind of far out, too, on that side of town. Mm-hmm. And then we moved further out of town again. And now I can, like, smell Henry Social Club from when I exit my apartment (laughs) building and I'm sick of it. (laughs) Like, please give me some of that food. Yeah, seriously. 
Okay. So, <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of anything that we have. I don't really think we have anything new from mm. last week. Oh, did we talk about John Bonet? No, 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 the no, no, update. No. Okay, so okay, where did you send that to me? Um, did you text it to me or message it to me? I think I sent it on Snapchat. Oh, but if you type in John, oh no, Bonet, no, update I found it. Was I found like it. the first, yeah. Okay, so um, we have as of January 11th at 4:58 p.m. on this Rolling Stone article, mm-hmm. <laughs> we have a uh, somebody who confessed to killing John Bonet. Mm-hmm. All right, so. I'm just going to read this Rolling Stone article, and I'll post it on our Facebook page, too, so you guys can read it, too. Um, So we talked about Gary. I talked about Gary Oliva, Oliva, Mm -hmm. and he is the one who admitted. Yeah. So he's uh, the Rolling Stone article says a longtime suspect in the 1996 murder of Jean Benet in Boulder, Colorado, has allegedly confessed to quote unquote accidentally mm-hmm. killing six year old killing the six year old in a series of letters sent to a former high school classmate, according to the Daily Mail. Uh, Gary Oliva, 54, is a convicted pedophile currently serving a 10 year sentence in Colorado for possession of child <clears throat> pornography, but is up for parole in 2020. Um, he wrote in a letter to his former classmate, Michael Vale, I never loved anyone like I did John Bonet, and yet I let her slip, and yet I let her slip and her head bashed in half and I watched her die. It was an accident. Please believe me, she was not like the other kids. In another letter, he wrote, John Bonet has completely changed me and removed all evil from me. Just one look at her beautiful face, her glowing beautiful skin, and her, and her divine God body. I realized I was wrong to kill other kids, yet by accident she died and it was my fault. Um, first off, remember, she's six years old. He's right. writing this about a six-year-old. Yeah. Second off, this quote where it says, I realized I was wrong to kill other kids. Did he kill more than one? Right? I mean. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> can we, you know, figure this out? Yeah. Um, it says, Michael Vale has suspected his old high school buddy killed John Bonet for the last 22 years, ever since he received a, ter- a disturbing phone call from, Ali- from Aleva shortly after the murder and before the case made national headlines. Um, if you remember right, I remember uh, I said in our Jean Bonnet two part series, <laughs> I said mm-hmm. that uh, Oliva called Michael Vale that night, the night of December twenty sixth, and said, "I heard a little girl." Right. Um, Michael Vale says, "I tried to get more information out of him. The only other thing he would tell me that he was in the Boulder, Colorado area, and on December twenty seventh, I read the front page of my local newspaper. Girl six slain in Boulder, Colorado." Uh, he said he immediately called the Boulder Police Department and told him what he knew about Gary and what he had told him just days earlier. They didn't get back to him. Three months later, he called the police again to find out what was going on, um, but instead was sent to a police answering machine set up for tips to the Jean Bonnet case. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. They're like, stop bothering us, buddy. But I also feel like just speculation at this, obviously, because I don't know anything, mm-hmm. but I feel like they were in the process of trying to frame family members. Family members, so yeah. They so they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear they it. They were focused on other things. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, um, I like that. It says, back in 1996, Oliva was a registered sex offender whose listed address was not far from the Ramsey home and apparently attended a candlelight vigil so- shortly after her murder. Yikes. Yeah. Um, let's see. If that was an episode of Criminal Minds, he'd be in a picture in the background. Oh, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. We yeah. zoom in on him so fast. Yeah. Um, Oliva has been behind bars in Colorado since 2016 when he was arrested by Boulder police on child porn charges 
In a recent letter to Vale, Oliva wrote, I pleaded guilty to the murder of John Bonet as well as countless charges of assaults and sexual abuse against many children. There were various agreements made by me in the court, which I signed many pages. While there's no such plea on the record, the arrest affidavit, while redacted, very likely alludes to Oliva's longtime ongoing obsession with Jean Bonnet. According to the affidavit ob- obtained by the Daily Mail, investigators found on Oliva's phone approximately 335 photos that had something to do with redacted. Oh my God. Um, some of, so I'm going to continue with the, what the affidavit says. Mm-hmm. Some were regular photographs of her, likely found online. Of those photographs, 19 were images from redacted autopsy. So were from some autopsy. Uh, likely from the photographs that had been leaked to the press in years past. There were also many photographs that would, photographs of what appear to be shrines to redacted. Mm. It is unknown where these shrines are, where these shrines are located, or if they were created by Oliva or not. I observed in the context in the contact section of Oliva's phone, there were many references to redacted. In the video section of the phone, I found several videos that were tributes to redacted as well. Wow. Yeah. Um, Thursday, January 10th, that's like last week. Yeah. (laughs) The Boulder Police Department issued a statement to the media and on its website, seemingly in response to the Daily Mail's story, it says, quote, the Boulder Police Department is aware of Gary Oliva and has investigated his potential involvement in this case, including several previous confessions. The department routinely receives information on this investigation. Information provided to the police department is reviewed along with the many tips and theories we receive. There are no new updates in this investigation, and the department will not comment further. End quote. Mm. So, like, what? Yeah. But I also feel like when I read that story and mm-hmm. we went, went over it over Christmas, I feel like we had talked about him confessing to being obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's not new news that he was obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. Agreed. Pizza. Pizza. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be real fun editing this episode. (laughs) Like, real fun. Amelia sends me horrible sounding videos all the time, and then she always says it's ASMR, and I'm like, it's not. (laughs) That is not. That is not relaxing whatsoever. I absolutely hate it. Um, Who went first last week? I will volunteer to go first this week so you can eat. Because you know I'm trying to suck down my beer anyway. What did you do last week? BTK. You went first last week. Oop, then it's you. Sorry. I, no, it's fine. I can go first. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. I'm going to finish this bite, though. Please. I'm almost done with the staircase. So last week I talked about watching the staircase on Netflix, and I was like, I when I got home that night, I was three, three episodes in. Nice. <laughs> and... I realized that it's not so much that it's, like, a whole lot to handle, mm-hmm. like I had kind of assumed, but it was more the beginning's kind of slow. Okay. So once you get to about halfway through, like, five or six episodes in, mm-hmm. then you're like, then I was, like, watched three episodes in a row, and I was right. like, oh, I'm on episode 11, I think, right now. Ooh, dang, girl. Um, It's almost, like, it's almost done, so... Can I ask, how do you, when you watch things, do you, you're like, oh, I'm watching this right now, and that's what you watch until you finish it, or do you bounce around? It depends. Mm, okay. Depends on the show. Like, Shameless, mm-hmm. I watched, like, the first seven seasons, six seasons, like, that's, that's all I watched. Watch. Yeah. And then it was kind of just, like, a in-between, I need something lighthearted, the rest mm-hmm. of the, the rest of what's on Netflix. And then, for the most part... If I watch something on Netflix, though, it's that's what I'm watching. Mm-hmm. But I am watching one, two, three, four, five 
shows on like actual TV. Oh, well, that's that tough. obviously I can't. Yeah. So I'm watching, if you care, I'm watching mm-hmm. uh, Chicago Med. Okay. New Amsterdam. Um, Manifest. And This Is Us. Okay. All on ABC. <laughs> and the, or NBC, sorry. And then on ABC, I'm watching The Good Doctor, but I watch that with Christopher. So we watch that at, mm-hmm. ever so every so often. I have only heard of This Is Us and The Good Doctor. <sighs> I know. I only so watch old shit. Have you heard of you've heard of Chicago PD, right? No. Uh, mm. Okay. So there's it's the Chicago PD, I think, came out first, and then they came out with Chicago Fire, and then they mm. came out with Chicago Med. But now they run them all on the same night, and they've done a couple episodes that are, like, intertwined. I was going to say, are they? Yeah, and the... it's I really like that. It's on NBC? Yeah. They're really good about that. Yeah. I love it. Now, see, I haven't... I've watched... I wanted to start watching Chicago PD because, I mean, obviously I'm into this stuff, mm-hmm. but... I can't find the full seasons like from mm. the beginning. And if I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna watch from the beginning. Yeah, I won't. And start I'm not gonna pay to like I'm not paying to do that stuff. So eventually, we're not written I'll episodes here. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll go and like get them from Family Video or something one weekend and like do consume that. them. But the, I like that because it's not like Chicago Med is what I'm I'm watching. I've mm-hmm. not I've not watched a Chicago Fire or a Chicago PD. I'd like to, but I'm mm-hmm. not. In Chicago Med, I like it because there's the one doctor. His brother is a police officer in Chicago PD. Ooh, neat! And then it's just it's just really cool I like how that. they how the stories just all come together. And it's like it'd be really cool to watch, like to be all caught up on the other two mm-hmm. and just be like, that's like three hours of television right there, and like yeah. three hours of just pure happiness. <laughs> no, I totally get that. Um, I like to watch. I use when I had cable and, like, watched television yeah. shows, what I would record was, like, Catfish, mm-hmm. um, The Challenge. I am a 37-year-old woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love those shows. Mm-hmm. I can't help it. So I totally, whenever, like, me and the kids are, like, have a night off, it'd be, like, Friday night, and I'm like, okay, we've got an episode of Big Brother, we've got The Challenge, and we've got Catfish. So yeah. what's up first? <laughs> what are we watching? Yeah. We're watching all three, but which one do you yeah, want to watch first? exactly. <laughs> so I totally feel you on that. Just yeah. save some up. And New Amsterdam and Manifest were new, I think, last, like, they came out brand new in fall. Oh, okay. Because fall TV is, like, the bomb. It is. But I think those ones were new this past fall. Mm-hmm. New Amsterdam's another medical show um and the manifest is about this airplane they're on this plane they go missing for five years this airplane but the people on the plane don't the same age it's like yeah okay it's on the plane these people are just experiencing a plane a flight just normal yeah and but they hit this like real scary bout of turbulence where like the power goes out on the plane it's Mm. like real stormy all this stuff, but they land and it's just like like a normal flight, you mm-hmm. know. But when they land, the they show the pilot communicating with the tower, and they're like, "I'm sorry, can you repeat your flight number?" Mm-hmm. And they like say it, and they're like, "Uh, you need to go to this mm-hmm. airstrip or whatever." And the FBI is there, and all these people are there when they land, and the one girl's like, "What?" What is going on? Because they all get, like, quarantined and right. like, all this stuff. And he goes, you've been missing for five years. And they're like, no, we haven't. That We've been on a plane amazing. for 45 minutes. <laughs> is it? Have, how many episodes have aired? 
I'm gonna a get a, a season's book. worth. Oh, so like shit, at least eight. I don't Dang. remember. Okay, but it's one of those ones that you have to be kind of into that sci-fi ish. Yeah, kind of thing because there's some stuff in it that it's kind of like that's just kind of real cheesy. Like it's kind of, mm-hmm. but if you're not, if you don't have like an open mind about that, you're not gonna like it. Like back in the day, all I watched was like dramas I guess yeah now I'm definitely more like I've I know that the story about your family is like amazing and you know whatever and so intense I feel like I've lived long enough I'm like I really don't want to hear about your Mm -hmm. you know this and that like your struggle raising your teenager or that sounds terrible but I'm struggling raising my teenagers and I just want to forget about that and think of craziness and like the Langoliers made you go missing for five years did you ever read that story or that see that movie I no, I didn't I didn't I know of it but I've never okay. yeah. delved into it but so the family was on like vacation so it was the mm-hmm. mom the grandma the grandpa the mom the dad the dad's sister and then the mom and dad's twin son and daughter mm. so and then it's like the how basically how they like split it up is or how it gets to that point is um our flights overbooked <gasps> will offer $500 ticket vouchers if you reschedule. Mm-hmm. So the dad, the sister and the son offer they wait mm-hmm, and wait and go on this flight and then they experience this or whatever and then they come back. So the twins, the sister is 5 <gasps> years older, oh she's God. a teenager, he's still Young, I love that. Yeah, and it's like it's Ooh. it's it's pretty good. There's there is some of it where you're just like mm-hmm. that could have been written so much better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, overall, it's pretty pretty good. And the one the sister is a police officer, so there's like some police stuff in mm-hmm. there, and it's pretty good. I like that. I like that one. That was the most intriguing one of the what you told me about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I'm watching. I'm watching. This is us, but. Mm-hmm. Can I say, I saw an article or a meme or something, somebody's pregnant. Is that always happening? Mm, not always. Okay. It's just kind of one of those. It's actually a really good story. Mm-hmm. And they do a good job with it because it's kind of the same thing. It's like there's so many of these TV dramas on mm-hmm. and family dramas and blah, blah, blah. But they do they do a good enough, like, job writing and describing. And the actors are real. The actors are great. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I get it. Yeah. yeah. I also don't like things that make me feel anything except for like excitement or fear, I guess. This makes you feel. Yeah, and and I I know that. Yeah, and it I'm, for sure makes you feel. Like, you know how I I have trouble getting <clears throat> tears out? Like, yeah. I I don't want to like open the floodgates. Right. <laughs> right. You don't want to break yeah. that. I don't I let's keep them in. Let's stifle those emotions. Yeah. All right. So, I am going to talk today. Mhm. We're going to go back to uh, old-time England. Mm. On Monday, March 27th, 1905. Oh, dang. At 8.30 in the morning in Deptford. I'm going to pronounce some of this stuff wrong because I am not English. You're not? Even though I'm 100% European. Oh, there we go. <laughs> hey, um, European, I'm a poopin'. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Please everybody. Don't be sorry. <laughs> um, 8.30 in the morning in Deptford, which is a district of southeast London. Uh, William Jones went into Chapman's Oil and Color Shop on High Street where he worked. When he arrived at the shop, he found it closed and shuttered, which he found very unusual. 
eight thirty in the morning mm-hmm. on a Monday. Uh, oh, beer. Thank you, Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> the manager of the paint shop, Thomas Farrow, aged seventy-one, lived with his wife Anne, who was sixty-five, in the flat above the shop. In the flat. Ooh. <laughs> um, they lived above the shop, and Thomas never had the shop closed so late in the morning. Unable to open the door, uh, William tried kick tried knocking, but since he didn't get a response from either Mister or Missus Farrow, he peeked through a window and saw that there were some chairs knocked over. Mm-hmm. Alarmed, he ran for help and found, uh, I'm going to pronounce it Louie. Okay. It's Louis, Louie, because we're in England. <laughs> uh, alarmed, he ran for help and found Louie Kidman, a local resident, resident who worked in a nearby store, and the two men forced their way into the shop. Shortly after entering the shop, they found the body of Mr. Farrow on the ground. He was dead. Upstairs in the couple's bed, Mrs. Farrow was found barely alive but unconscious. Both showed signs of being repeatedly beaten. The men called the doctor and the police, and Mrs. Farrow was taken to the hospital. So, despite the disarray within the shop, the police found no signs of forced entry. It was shortly determined that robbery was the motive. Jones told the police, William Jones told the police that Mr. Farrow would collect the week's earnings and deposit them to a local bank every Monday, and an empty cash box was found on the floor, which was estimated to contain about 10 pounds, which is $350. Okay. I guess. So, like... And, like, 10 pounds then is $350 today. Right. Is what I... So, like, your overnight safe money for your store. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, which was a considerable amount of money at the time. Mm-hmm. 1905, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, to ensure the doctor wouldn't trip over it, Sergeant Albert Atkinson pushed it aside with his bare hands. Okay. Yeah. All right. Great job. Uh, it was at this point Chief Inspector Frederick, Frederick Fox and Melville McNatton, the Assistant Commissioner oh. <gasps> of the Metropolitan Police and Head of the Criminal Investigation Department, took over the case. Aside from the lack of forced entry, as well as an empty cash box, it was clear that Mr. and Mrs. Farrow were attacked separately. The discovery of two black masks fashioned from stockings were left at the scene, indicating that there were two men involved. Since they were in their nightclothes, the police had speculated that Mr. Farrow was deceived into opening the door while he was still half asleep. He was immediately attacked, but was conscious enough to go after the robbers being hit again. His assailants went up to the upstairs flat, attacking Mrs. Farrow, locating the cash box, and fleeing with the money. However, based on these separate pools of blood at the scene, it was determined that Mr. Farrow had again regained consciousness, and at this time, the men killed him and washed their hands in a nearby sink. Yikes. When McNatton was told of the empty cash box, he chose to examine it. He noticed that on the underside of the box's inner tray, there was a greasy smudge which appeared to be a fingerprint. As a member of the Belper Committee, which recommended the use of fingerprints as a, me- as a method of indicate. As a method uh-huh. of identification five years before, so like fin- fingerprinting Brand new. just started. Wow. He wondered if this might be a case to test out this new ne- new technique. So he used his handkerchief to carefully pick up the cash box, had it wrapped in paper, and took it to the Fingerprinting Bureau at Scotland Yard. Established on July 1st, 1901, the Fingerprint Bureau was now headed by a detective inspector, Charles Stockley Collins, who is regarded as the first English fingerprint expert of his time. Uh, Detective Inspector Collins examined the print thoroughly and determined that the print was made through perspiration and appeared to have been left by a thumb, probably from the right hand. He compared it with those of the pharaohs and that of Detective Sergeant Atkinson, who was the one who pushed it aside with his bare hands, um, and was satisfied that the print didn't belong to any of those people. So it's like this random random fingerprint. Hmm. Although the Bureau had eight 80,000 to 90,000 sets of prints on fire. There was, fi- 
goodness, on file, there was no match on any of them as well, which meant that they would need to find a suspect. Police hoped that Mrs. Farrow would give a description of her assailants, but she later died in the hospital four days later without ever regaining consciousness. Golly. Um, In an effort to identify the robbers, the police resorted to the usual practice of interviewing potential witnesses of the crime. Uh, Thankfully, there was no shortage of them because a lot of them saw two men, one of them dressed in a dark brown suit and cap, and the other drug the other in a dark blue suit and a bowler hat, leave the paint shop around 7.30 in the morning of March 27th. Pause. If I get murdered, please let it be a man in a dark blue suit with a bowler hat. Right? Golly. <laughs> I just love that they're like, you know, nowadays you think, okay, somebody's, if somebody, if I'm going to rob somebody, I'm going to wear some black sweatpants. Right. Some leggings. <laughs> some black leggings, a black hoodie. Black hoodie. You know, black stock. Oh, I have all these. Off. Black, black tennies. I could Six. dress this tomorrow. Seriously. Right? Like, we could both go home and change right now. But these guys are dressed up in suits, mm-hmm. suits and caps, suits and hats. Love it. So good. <laughs> <laughs> so two of the witnesses, um, one was a professional boxer named Henry John Littlefield. And then one was a local girl named Ellen Stanton, positively identified the one in the dark brown suit as Alfred Stanton, Stratton, Alfred Stratton. There's a Stanton that does something famous, though, because you said that Stanton name, and I was like, who's that? I know that name. Did yeah. they kill somebody, too? So I, I don't, don't know. know. Anyway. Um, although he didn't, re- although he did not have a criminal record, Alfred Stratton was known to the police as being a vagabond and was known to have contacts in the criminal underworld. Alfred's brother, Albert, was also a known police character, and the description of the other man given by the witnesses matched him. Hmm. So the identification of Alfred was apparently confirmed when Alfred's girlfriend, Annie Cromarty, told the police that he had disposed of his dark brown coat and changed his shoes the day after the murder. Mm. She also recalled him asking for a pair of old stockings. Mm. Based on this lead, warrants for the arrest of the pair were issued and they were taken into, the cu- taken into custody on April 2nd and fingerprinted. Based on a tip by Annie, police were able to recover four pounds that was buried near local waterworks. When Detective Inspector Collins received the two sets of fingerprints taken from the Stratton brothers, he compared them to the print on the cash box and concluded that it exactly matched with the right thumbprint of Alfred Stratton. Stratton. Wowza. Yeah. With that new fingerprint technology, I love it. The brothers were charged with murder, and the trial was set for May 5th, 1905 at the Old Bailey. When the Stratton brothers were brought to trial, McNatton, Collins, and Richard Muir, the prosecutor for the Crown— which like, oh, whoa, yeah. that's cool, uh, knew that they would face an uphill battle. Since the fingerprint was the only tangible evidence that they had, the case would stand or fall on that evidence, and the defense would try their best to undermine it. So uh, let's see. Fingerprinting pioneer Henry Folds was a, lo- was a vocal detractor because he had the mistaken notion that one fingerprint match was unreliable, thus the defense retained him as a witness. Oh, uh. so the guy who's like, I can match fingerprints is like, yeah, we match the fingerprint, but that's not enough. Is that what? what just... Yeah, but this is another, this is a different okay. fingerprinting okay. guy. Okay, okay, Also set to testify for the defense was Dr. John George Garson, who advocated anthropometry, which is the scientific study of the measurements and proportions of the human body over fingerprinting as a means of identification. Which okay. I <laughs> so he, he was more like, I don't really know what an anthropometrist does. Yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> God. But he thinks that's better than fingerprinting. Okay. Whatever. 
All right. Both men were professional rivals of Edward Henry, the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, who established the Fingerprint Bureau and was responsible for the acceptance of fingerprinting in the British legal system. He was obviously also in attendance. Mm -hmm. The prosecution called over 40 witnesses to the stand, which that's a lot of people. That is a lot. I mean, it happened at 830 on a Monday morning in this little town. 40 witnesses. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Muir and his team wanted to place the two defendants at the scene of the crime, and despite Muir's inherent distrust of the eyewitness testimony, he was counting on their consistency to reinforce the fingerprint evidence. Although some of them, like Henry Alpha Jennings, a local milkman, were not able to make a positive identification on the defendants despite being consistent with their general appearance, others like Henry Littlefield and Ellen Stanton were positive that their ide- were positive in their identification of Alfred Stratton. Um, the home office pathologist who did the autopsy on the pharaohs told the court that the injuries on the pharaohs were consistent with being inflicted by weapons similar to the tools that the brothers had in their possession. Mm. Kate Wade was Albert Stratton's girlfriend, testified that he was not with her during the night of the murder, and he usually stayed with her. In addition, Annie, Alfred's girlfriend, testified that Alfred had come home in the morning of March 27th with a good amount of money without explaining where he obtained it. She also added that he threw out the clothes that he wore that day when he saw the newspaper accounts of the murder and that Alfred asked her to tell the police or anyone else who asked that he was with her the night of the murder. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> like, good for these girls, though. I know. You know They're 19, like... 1905 England, mm-hmm. and these women are like, screw you, dude. <laughs> Boy was lying. That's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, the defense counsels H.G. Ruth, Curtis Bennett, and Harold Morris were able to give plausible alternative explanations, which would tend to cast doubt on the prosecution's witnesses, so much so that they were confident enough to have Alfred Stratton take the stand. Ooh, dang. Uh. Yeah. He testified that about 2.30 in the morning of the 27th, he was awakened by his brother Albert, who was tapping on the window and wanted to borrow money from him for a night's lodging. He replied that he would check if he had some, and when Alfred came back to tell his brother that he had none, Albert was gone. He went out and found his brother some distance away in Regent Street. It was there that they were seen by several witnesses who testified having seen them around that time. Uh, He told his brother that he had no money and offered to let him stay for the night. Albert agreed and slept on the floor, and the brothers stayed until 9 in the morning. He explained that the four pounds was that was recovered by the police was money which he won over a boxing contest a couple months before. He buried the money three mi- three weeks prior to the murders and intended to give the money to Annie. Like, mm, why not just give it to her? Right. <laughs> um, Muir had anticipated this tactic by the defense, and before calling Inspector Collins, he summoned William Giddings, who worked in the jail where the Stratton brothers were confined awaiting trial. Giddings related a conversation that he had with Albert Stratton, who said, quote, I reckoned Alfred would get strung up and I shall get about 10 years he has led me into this, end quote. Muir hoped to impress the jury into thinking that the statement would be counted as a confession. He then called Inspector Collins to the stand. I want to meet Inspector Collins. Yeah. Sounds like a badass guy. Mm-hmm. He does. <laughs> uh, it was Muir's intention to first establish Inspector Collins' credentials as an, ex- as an expert in the field of fingerprinting before the jury, then explain in layman's terms how fingerprinting worked as a means of identification. Collins was then made to discuss the fingerprint involved in the case, He showed the jury the cash box that was recovered from the scene, the fingerprint that he was able to obtain from the box, and demonstrated how it matched with the right thumbprint of Alfred Stratton for up to 12 points of agreement. That's, I feel like that's a lot. I don't know anything about fingerprinting. Yeah. But 12 points that are, like, matching in just a a right finger, a right thumbprint. Right. That's a lot. I agree with you. Uh, At the request of a member of the jury, Collins also demonstrated the difference in a print caused by various levels of pressure. Hmm. So cool. Like, this is, like, brand new in this guy's look. 
Yeah. Here we go. That's pretty, That I like it. Yeah. Uh, after Collins took the stand, the defense called Dr. John Garson to the stand. They were hoping to discredit Collins' testimony by establishing his credentials as one of Inspector Collins' mentors, thus giving to the jury the impression that he was more of an expert than Collins in the study of fingerprinting. As expected, he testified that upon examination of the print taken from the cash box and that of Alfred Stratton, he would say with certainty that they were not in agreement. Uh, the defense failed to reckon with the fact that Garson was not an expert of fingerprinting, but in anthropometry, its rival field in identification. As a matter of fact, he spoke, to get, he spoke against fingerprinting in the Belper Committee. There was one more thing that they were unaware of, which Muir intended to use as his advantage. In cross-examination, Muir called into evidence two letters, each written by Garson. One letter was to the director of public prosecutions. The other was to the solicitor of the defense. Each letter said that Garson would be willing to testify for either side in the trial, depending on who would pay him more. Oh, my goodness <laughs> gracious. So this says, Mr. Muir said, how can you reconcile with, with the writing of these two letters in the same day? Dr. Garson replies, I'm an independent witness. Uh, the judge, Mr. Justice Chanel, remarked that after writing two such letters, he would opine that Dr. Garson was, quote, an absolutely untrustworthy witness. Wow. Having shattered the credibility of Dr. Garson as a witness, the defense decided not to call Dr. Falls as a witness, fearing that Prosecutor Muir would have something to discredit him as well. <laughs> Golly. Um, after each side gave their summations and the jury was given their final instructions, it took them a little over two hours of deliberation to find both the Stratton brothers guilty of murder, sentencing them to death by hanging. The sentence was carried out on May 23rd, 1905. They were hung. Mm-hmm. Wow. They were hung. Two months later. Man, can you imagine if trials, like, were that, that quick? That quick and that, like, um, I know they're, like, you know, public now and, like, you can watch trials live. But don't you wish mm -hmm. they were that, like, up front? Like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I'll testify whoever will pay me more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, everybody just knew that? I kind of wish, like, I mean, we all assume it now, but, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. I love that. Yeah. Two months later, done. Wrapped case over yeah literally done <laughs> oh my gosh so that was the stratton <laughs> brothers i loved it i wanted to do an old-timey one yeah i love the old timies and then i was like well what better old-timey than like england yeah and united kingdom so i looked and looked there and it's that was really hard to yeah. do like an old-timey one that like because there's not a lot of info uh -uh. unless it's like a really big case like my christmas yeah. day case yeah. It was a big one, so there was a lot of info to go and find little side stories. But that one I've yeah, never heard of. And, mm -mm, me yeah. either. Ooh, I so love. it was pretty cool. I was so I went to Murderpedia, which is my go-to place. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you can like search by last name, and you can do male last name, female last name, or you can search by country. Mm. And so I searched by country and went to United Kingdom, and I was just like looking, and I was like. Nope, 1960. Nope, let's go. Let's see how far back we can go. <laughs> and I found a couple. I found, <clears throat> I think I changed my story like two or three times because I would like find one and I would like copy it over and mm -hmm. start looking at it and like making my notes and all that stuff. And and then I would get like a couple paragraphs and I was like, nah. <laughs> I have definitely done that where I think, ooh, this is a good one. And I get started and I'm like, no, no, no thanks. I don't yeah. want it. So that was fun. It was kind of fun to research. I don't know if I'm going to be able to post any pictures from it because I don't remember that there were any pictures about it. But. Just post a picture of a bowler hat. 
<laughs> That's all Deal. I can take away from the whole thing. Deal. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I have a bunch of pictures with, with mine, so okay, we'll overcompensate. <laughs> um, okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. I really liked yours, by the way. Thank you. It was super good. Now you get to eat, mm-hmm. and I'm going to sip on... Sipping on some gin, sipping on a jack, slipping in her panties with my wallet in the back. I don't think that was the right words to the end of that, but. Oh my goodness. I love you. Okay. (laughs) This one is by special request. So. From who? A friend of the show. (laughs) God, God, the look she just gave me. (laughs) Just like, um, excuse me. Pardon. I really like when people are like, hey, you should do this one. And then I write it down and I will eventually do it. Mm-hmm. Like if anyone's Seriously. like casually just like, hey, you should do that. That's where I get most of mine. Mm-hmm. People will walk past my desk at work and be like, hey, I saw this story. Or they'll just send me a message on Facebook. Yeah. And I'm like, yup. I have a list mm-hmm. in my podcasting notebook. I have a designated oh notebook God. because I'm that anal retentive about my You have a notebook for everything. Seriously. I love it. Um, I have a list of ones that I want to do and stuff, but recommendations take precedence. Yeah, I love like, it over anything. I, I love yeah. It. So if you have any recommendations, let us know, please. You can email us, find us on Facebook, Instagram. Send a pigeon. <sighs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I could feel it building in there. Yeah, it was coming. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. On Saturday, April 26, 2008, an anxious father and his daughter arrive at a hospital in Lower Austria. Okay, talking about some names. There is a town in here that has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven letters. Only two of them are vowels. Okay. What? Yeah. How yeah. does that even work? I, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, anyway. On April 26, Saturday, 2008, an anxious father and his daughter arrived to visit their critically ill relative in the hospital in Lower Austria. Doctors were shocked by the daughter's appearance. Her skin was the color of ash, and her few remaining teeth were rotten beyond repair, in stark contrast to her father. At first, the daughter, Elizabeth, was reluctant to talk, and only when the police officers promised her she would not have to speak around her father or see him again Mm. did she start talking. And she started with, quote, no one will believe me. Then she told her story. Elizabeth Fritzel had been imprisoned by her father in the basement of the family home at number 40, Ibestras, Amstetten. Yes, girl. Yeah. Y-B-B-S-S-T-R-A-S-S-E. Give me a break. And then something else. For 24 (laughs) years, from the ages of 18 to 42, Kirsten. Whoa. Yeah. 24 years. That's how old I am. I know, dude. Your whole life, she lived in a basement. Jesus. A cellar. No thanks. Kirsten, the relative in the hospital, was Elizabeth's daughter by her father, one of seven children born of incestuous rape. No, no. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Do you want to see a picture of this man? Oh, my God. Do you just want to see a picture of his face? Get pumped. I know. I know. I know. Oh, my God. I know. He looks like the Grinch. He does look like the Grinch. Ugh. The Jim Carrey adaptation of the Grinch. Yeah. Specifically. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Elizabeth, Mm. I know. Are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The face. His face made it worse. Oh, sorry. It's, you know, in the view more. What's with the one guy that's not him over here? Is that, <laughs> is is that, that? Chester Bennington? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's Chester Bennington. Will you please click oh, on that God. picture? 
<laughs> oh no, it's John Colco. Who's John Colco? I don't know. Founder of Austin Center for Design, progressive educational in- institution teaching interaction design and social entrepreneurship. Oh, interesting. What do you have to do with this <laughs> I know. freaking incestual uh. father? Okay, Elizabeth explained that her father had kept her in a basement and that she bore seven children. She explained Ugh. that Joseph, her father, was the father of all of them and that he would come down during the night. Oh, do I want to? Yeah. Because <clears throat> she, like, gave a quick, like, here's what's been going on in two hours is what I had read. Like, mm-hmm. just in really quick in two hours, she recapped the last 24 years of her life. Ooh. Yeah. Honestly, I'm sure it was probably the same thing over and over. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She explained that he'd been abusing her ever since she was 11. He would come down during the night making her watch pornographic films and then rape her. Um, She herself had six siblings, four sisters, and two brothers, although it is unknown whether Fritzel sexually abused his other children. On August 28, 1984, we are jumping back in time to talk about how this all came about. Okay. 18-year-old Elizabeth went missing. Her mother, Rosemarie, hastily filed a missing persons report, frantic over the whereabouts of her daughter. For weeks, there was no word from Elizabeth, and her parents were left to assume the worst. Then out of nowhere, a letter arrived from Elizabeth claiming that she had grown tired of family life and run away. <sighs> Teenagers. I know, right? Her father, Joseph, told, a police, told policemen who came to the house that he had no idea where she would go but that she likely joined a religious cult, something she had talked previously about doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like sitting at dinner, eating a... What did you... What what was eaten in the 80s? In the 80s? Like what meatloaf. was a pop... Yeah. Eating a, eating a meatloaf meal. Double beetloaf. Eating meatloaf with your family. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, Dad, why won't you let me join a cult? <laughs> I'm gonna join a cult. <laughs> you know what sounds really interesting? You Joining a religious cult. anything. <sighs> oh, God. Um, yeah, she probably just joined a cult. Something she talked previously about wanting to do. Let's try this cult out. I mean, (sighs) stupid. No, thank you. Okay, so on that late August day, Joseph had called his daughter, Elizabeth, into the basement of the family's home. He was refitting a door to the newly renovated cellar and needed help carrying it. As Elizabeth held the door, Joseph put it into place, and as soon as it was on the hinges, you know how, have you ever put it, replaced a door or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, it, like, gets in there, and then you're like, oh, it's in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, like, pain in the butt, and then it immediately is, like, perfect. Yep. Um, Once it was on the hinges, he swung it open, forcing Elizabeth inside and knocking her unconscious, and then he used an ether, ether-soaked towel for good measure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like, he hit her, knocked her out, and then used the towel to make sure she stayed knocked out. What in the <clears> world? <throat> Unbeknownst to anyone else in the family, Fritzel had spent several years building a small section of the basement into living quarters for his teenage daughter. Mm-mm. He got a permit for the space from Austrian officials, uh-uh. and it had been inspected and approved. Uh-uh. Yeah? Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, the excavated space had narrow hallways that connected several rooms. He even added a small bathroom as well as a refrigerator, a hot plate, and a bed. The basement was not temperature-controlled. There were only two ways to access the area, and Fritzel hid both in his workshop, which he secured with a series of five locked doors. Are you ready to see? Why? Why? Are you ready? It's it's bad. Oh. Yeah. MG. Yeah. It's not a great looking location. 
Elizabeth spent the first five months of her imprisonment bound to the walls. Fritzel first chained her arms to the metal bedposts in one of the rooms in the basement. He then moved the chains around her waist to function like a leash. So, obviously, like, probably her hands being bound was, like, becoming work for him. Yeah. Um, so he moved it to her waist. This allowed... Um, oh, I guess I cut that part off. But I think it allowed her to be able to, to take care of herself, groom herself, that yeah. sort of thing. <clears throat> That's what I remember. After a time, she believes either six or nine months, he removed all of the restraints because they were in the way. Uh, yeah. He reportedly raped her daily. Oh, my God. For the next 24 years, Elizabeth lived out her life in the dirt-walled cellar 20 feet below her family. Joseph would lie to Elizabeth's mother and the police, feeding them stories about how she'd run away and joined a cult. Eventually, the police investigation into her whereabouts ran cold. Joseph, at the minimum, he would visit her in the basement three times a week, usually every day. Uh, For the first two years, he left her alone, keeping her captive, kind of like, I don't know, just controlling her, you know, that sort of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then he began to rape her, continuing the nightly visits he had begun when she was just 11. Oh, my gosh. Fritzel, to punish her, would cut off power to the lights in the basement when he felt angry. He would also stop delivering food, forcing her to starve. Two years into her captivity, Elizabeth became pregnant, Mm. though she miscarried 10 weeks into the pregnancy. Another two years after that, however, she became pregnant again, this time carrying to term. In August of 1988, a baby girl named Kirsten was born, the one that went to the hospital. Mm. Um, Two years after that, another baby was born, a boy named Stefan. Kirsten and Stefan remained in the cellar with their mother for the duration of her imprisonment. Okay, hold on. Did he, like, soundproof the floor ceiling? We'll we'll touch on that. Okay. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> Being brought weekly rations of food and water by Joseph. Okay, so he brought them food and water, unless he was mad, and then he didn't. Elizabeth attempted to teach them with the rudimentary education she herself had and give them the most normal life she could under her horrific circumstances. Over the next, you know, 20-ish years, Elizabeth would give birth to five more children— one more was allowed to remain in the basement with her. One died shortly after birth. He was a twin. And the other three were taken upstairs to live with Rosemary and Joseph. Hold up. Are you ready for how this happened and what how this worked out? The actual fuck. Yeah. Okay. So he didn't just bring the kids up to live with them. In order to conceal what he had done from his wife, he staged elaborate discoveries of the children, often involving placing them on bushes near the home or on the doorstep. Each time, the child would be swaddled neatly and accompanied with a note written by Elizabeth claiming that she couldn't take care of the baby and she was leaving it with her parents for safekeeping. So he's got this ruse that she's alive, living as a cult member somewhere. Um, and just ran away because she's like a snot-nosed teenage brat. Yeah. And now she's just popping babies out and leaving them for her mom and her dad to take care of. That's what he's got going. Yeah. What? Shockingly, social services never questioned the appearance of the children and allowed the Fritzels to keep them as their own children. Officials were, after all, under the impression that Rosemary and Joseph were the baby's grandparents. Now, um... 
I had found a little side note on Wikipedia about Joseph's past criminal history. Okay. So this was all going on um, mid to late 80s. Okay. In 1967, Fritzel broke into the home of a 24-year-old nurse while her husband was away and no. raped her while holding a knife to her throat, threatening to kill her if she screamed. According to a report and a press release at the time, he was also named as a suspect in a case of attempted rape of a 21-year-old woman and was known for indecent exposure. Fritzel was arrested and served 12 months of an 18-month prison sentence, um, but in accordance with Austrian law, his record was expunged after 15 years. So when 25 years later he wanted to adopt those babies that showed up, go for it, buddy. Do it up. All yours. So he adopted his own children that he fathered. That's just... I mean, this dude is... Mm. Yeah. Mm. This is stressful. I'm stressed. Good thing you picked this case today. Yeah, because we needed a drink. <clears throat> okay. What it is. Fuck? I know. I'm sorry. I know, I know. He is messed up. It is not known how long Joseph intended to keep his daughter captive in the basement because in 2008, Kirsten fell ill. Elizabeth begged her father to allow her to take 19-year-old Kirsten to the hospital. She'd fallen rapidly and critically ill, and Elizabeth was beside herself. Grudgingly, Joseph agreed to take her to a hospital. He removed Kirsten from the cellar and called an ambulance, claiming that he had a note from Kirsten's mother explaining her condition. These notes, I mean, we're, we're not buying them in 2008, buddy. Mm-mm. Reportedly, he showed the captive children pictures of other kids, possibly their siblings, three of whom lived with him and his wife, Rosemarie, playing outside in the sun to inflict psychological torture. Elizabeth, as well as the three kids living in the windowless basement, never saw the sun, but he did bring in sun lamps for vitamin D. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Isn't that super, That's super how that nice? Works. Oh my God. <laughs> um, Jesus. Okay. So the pol- the hospital staff were like, okay, something's not right. And going back to the beginning of my story here, they called the police and Elizabeth started confessing once they were like, okay, you never have to go with him. Thank Tell God us what for happened. hospital staff sometimes. Yeah. Unless you're Janine Jones from last week's episode. Frick. Anyway. So he was arrested that night that they showed up at the hospital and they took Kirsten. <sighs> Um, after the arrest, the children in the cellar were also released, and Rosemary Fritzel fled the home. She had allegedly known nothing about the events taking place right under her feet, and Joseph backed up her story. The tenants who had lived in the apartment on the first floor of the Fritzel home, the first floor, also never knew what was happening right beneath them, as Joseph had explained away all sounds by blaming faulty piping and a noisy heater. Okay, That's I'm not a baby sorry. crying. The heat's kicking on. The heat's kicking on (laughs) for three hours. For three hours, yeah. Oh, how, what? I know. (laughs) How stupid do you have to be? Um, So just some, like, other awful bits throughout their time while they were held captive. In 1996, Elizabeth gave birth to her fifth and sixth children, Alexander and Michael. They were twins, one of whom died Three days after he was born, he was having trouble breathing and required medical attention. Mm-hmm. Fritzel refused to remove him from the basement and later incinerated the child's body. Oh. Um, the courts did find him guilty of Michael's murder. Good. Yeah. In the secret basement, Fritzel had specifically constructed a soundproof room using padding, but we know how well that works. 
There, he reportedly made her... Padding isn't soundproofing it's not. material. Sticking some eggshell foam up to the wall doesn't do as much as you hope. He had brought a television VCR and a variety of pornographic VHS tapes into the basement, and he would take her into that soundproof padded room and make her reenact scenes from the movies. Um, Ugh. Yeah. He, I mean, like, he would not feed them. He would keep them without power, without, I mean, it was obviously cold. It's Austria, and it's the basement, and it's underground, and there's, like, you can see in the pictures it's not, yeah, it's, it's not, not insulated or anything. Mm-hmm. In 2009, Austrian courts gave Fritzel a life sentence, which he serves in a psychiatric prison. He is eligible for parole in no. 2024. No. But he is 83 years old. He would be so he's got five almost more years. 90. Yeah, he'd be 88. Not impossible that he would get out. Not impossible. <sighs> Social services removed... Lisa, Monica, and Alexander from the Fritzl home and mother and children are going through extensive therapy. I, um, while I was picking up our pizza after working out, I listened to like an update on YouTube or something. Um, the family is living together and I know I talked a lot of shit about Austria and what they're, they're like, oh, she ran away. Cool. Oh, you found her baby's cool. Awesome. Um, go ahead and adopt them. But. There have been no pics of Elizabeth since she was 16 to protect her identity. All, like, all of the articles that I have found do not say what town she lives in. They do not. They've all changed their names. You know, they are actually, you cannot find them anywhere, which I am so pleased about. Um, I hope that they're all okay. I know they're never going to be great. I know. But I hope that they're okay. I know. I'm going to. Pull up a picture of Elizabeth. I feel like maybe she was just, you know. Like shit. Yeah. I know. It's heartbreaking. Uh, Why? You said she had, like, actual siblings, not incestual siblings, but actual siblings. Yeah. Why um, her? Not that I I want it to happen to the the other ones. But why just her in the basement like maybe he was probably he he was probably still right you know hurting how, his other children but why was it such an extreme for her um this is creeping me out i know i know sorry like <laughs> i don't okay. want to look at her anymore it's okay i mean she's very pretty oh shit yeah. i almost knocked that over but you know how people get fixated on one person or yeah. i feel like he fixated on her oh. i mean Okay, so can we talk about Rosemarie? Yeah. The mom. Yes. The wife. Yes. She knew something. She had to have. I mean, these babies keep showing up. Even if even if there was okay. I'm so upset about it. A, what cult do you know of that if you have if they have a baby, they're like, oh, send it away. They're like, no, that's that. a, that's another mind that I it's can control. It's a new member, yeah. So that that's the first thing. Second. I can understand maybe she did join a cult that was like, nope, no babies. Right. None. Send whatever. You do what you got to do. Right. One. Okay, whatever. But three. Three. And it's just like, oh, honey, look what happened. Another another kid baby on our bush. <laughs> on our front bush by the <laughs> mailbox. Baby. I found another baby outside. Like. No. Nothing. I'm, no. I just don't understand how... Uh, and then n- the the tenants what uh, 
really our furnace sounds like a baby crying. Yeah. It sounds like a baby needs fed. Yeah. That's what my furnace sounds like. Oh, that furnace now sounds like a five-year-old child who's complaining because he's not getting what he wants. Yeah. Oh, my God. I like, mean. There's no. Uh-uh. And even, I mean, if, even if it is a furnace, I, you still are like, why is my furnace making that noise? Maybe I should go check on it. Right. Every time it kicks on. And it doesn't kick on in the summer. Oh, my God. So, you know, yes, I don't know. There's smart. just, like, so many. I know. So many. I, I don't know. He and must I, have been very manipulative to get away. He had to, to get been. away with it. I don't understand. Because there's, I feel like even if you are the most skeptical person and mm-hmm. you're like, all right, dude, I believe you, whatever. That's fine. But at some point in 24 years, granted right. the tenants might not have lived there for 24 years, whatever. I, I don't know. But at some point. There had to have been something that happened that they were like, yeah, let that me, wasn't natural. Let me pitch you this scenario. You and Christopher are running the bottom floor of a family's home or whatever. Yeah. And you hear that. I mean, obviously people knew that this daughter is missing. Yeah. Slash ran away. And you're hearing. And you hear like sounds from human, the basement. Human yeah. sounds. Wouldn't you be like, Christopher. Something's happening. We're going down there. Yeah. Like, would you not be insistent? Like, as soon as they all leave the house, we're well, checking the shit out. Shit. There's, a, I've got a neighbor, like, <gasps> down the road, a couple houses uh-huh. that have, and it's like, they've got some dogs. And every once in a while, when you get home, the dogs are, like, barking. Like, losing their minds. Losing their minds to where it sounds like. And I'm I'm a worst case scenario person. If there is something that I hear or feel, my mind immediately right. goes to the worst possible situation. Right. So my mind goes here when I hear this sound. These dogs are barking like one of their own is getting beaten to death. Okay, yeah, like someone's and being it's attacked. Like, it's I just got chills again because I can just I can just picture it. And it's like, what is happening in this household that there are at least four dogs barking in that manner? Oof. That it's it's liter- it literally makes your stomach drop, your heart and your chest tense up, and I've got chills just thinking like I'm yeah. What is happening? So if I have that feeling about dogs, and yes, I'm an over sympathetic, over emotional person. What? But yeah, yeah. What in your right mind? If you hear any indication of something in pain, in terror, mm-hmm. in in desperate need of some type of help. Right. How do you not respond to that? I mean, let's say you live there for six months. Month four of hearing this, I would be like, all right, I'm going to go see what's going on down there, yeah. dude. I can't take it even, anymore. Even if it was a stupid, <clears throat> whiny-ass furnace, I'd right. be like, dude, what is happening? Like, get your shit together. Yeah, I get I'm fixing so- the furnace myself. I'm like- overly sympathetic and overly emotional, but I also get very annoyed very easily. <laughs> I'm overly annoyed as well. <laughs> Suck so- it. Yeah. What is happening in Austria? I know. At that moment in time. I totally remember when this story came out, um, because it was, what, 2006, 2004, something like that, 2008. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, it was was like they showed that picture of that man with those eyebrows. There's just no way. There's no way that one other person didn't know what was going on. Someone had to know. Someone had to know. It does say that Elizabeth lives with, like, her children. Yeah. Um, but no mention of Elizabeth's mother. All I saw was that Rosemarie fled the home after 
it all came about. I feel like she knew and he, like, maybe they had some sort of an agreement. Like, okay. I'll as- stop I'll stop beating you if you let me continue beating this. The, he obviously didn't see her as a daughter. So right. This person. And the mom maybe is just like, okay, as long as when you, when you get caught, it's, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Because. Nope. Don't do it. 24 years. That That is l- my lifetime. Yeah. That is, I can't even, what? Yeah. 18 to 42, they said. That's 24 think, years, right? Yeah. I mean. Yeah, it is. What? And you know, you know, like, it's like, well, why didn't she try to escape? Well, she was so young. She was chained up for, like, the first six to nine months. Mm -hmm. And then you start cranking out babies by this monster. What are you going to do? Leave your baby with a monster? Yeah. No. That and he obviously had to manipulate her so much that it was. Oh, yeah. That was her normal. That was normal. Right. You and I living in a normal size house with insulation and heat and right. not being assaulted by this person who's supposed to be our father mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Ooh, I love how you said that. Supposed to be your father. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like that that's normal for us. Mm-hmm. But that had that was her new normal. Think think about when you were eleven. Right. Everything was new. Like, okay, well this is my new thing now. Yeah. This is me. You now. were so <laughs> impressionable and moldable that Yeah. Oh my God. Poor thing. I I hope, pray, swear, they all they I ugh, I, I hope know. they're okay. I know. I don't know what I would do. I don't either. I don't want to know. I don't ever want to know. And like nope. in the middle there, the twin that died, and yeah. he just incinerated the body. What a heartless a baby bastard! Seriously, I hope he rots in hell. He will rot in hell. Yeah, I mean. I hope he doesn't get out of prison. I hope he rots in hell. I hope they don't find him for like 12 days so he starts to I hope he dies get eaten the, by cockroaches. When they're like, okay, your parole's granted. I hope he just fucking trips over a rock and then a tree branch impales him. Oh, my God, yes, in the penis. Yep, right in the dick. <laughs> that uh, was terrible. That, that is the I'm worst sorry. story you've ever told me. <laughs> That was terrible. You're like, I didn't like that one. I hate no, it. I don't like that one. I am one. going to delete the last half of this podcast <laughs> recording. I didn't know. <clears throat> I do not. I don't know what it is about those kind of stories, but the I do not like those ones. Yeah, it those was a rough one. Those do not sit well. It was bad. Oh, I mean, down there in a basement, and she gave birth on her own, obviously, just... That's another thing. Yeah. They didn't hear this woman giving birth seven times. I know. I'm sorry, dude. but women are loud when they give birth. A little bit. Get a little rowdy in there. It's he, the furnace. Furnace is Don't on. worry. It's the furnace. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's screaming, help. <laughs> it hurts. It's just the furnace. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my. <sighs> Stop it. Yeah. Shit. What? So she had three kids, and then, I mean, he was probably like, well, there's no more room for any more kids. I guess I'll take them upstairs and raise them. Oh, my God. (laughs) What? I know. What? There's no more room in the basement for any more kids. I just, so baby, don't hold them captive anymore, (laughs) you dumbass. Let them out. So so this is what happens when we get get stories from listeners. (laughs) Y'all. 
<laughs> the hell is wrong with you? Oh, man. Who told you that story? It you was Joe. It was Joe. Joe. Yeah. What in the <laughs> world? I'm concerned about you. I'm going to go check. You need to go check his basement. Take somebody with you. <laughs> take somebody with you. And some pepper spray. <laughs> and then go check his basement. I'm going to take. I am concerned. The door off the hinge first before yeah. I go down into the basement. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> so funny story. I was looking at pictures of the outside of the house. And watching like a little thing about it. Yeah. And Sarah had walked up. She goes, oh, that's a cute house. And then she launched into her question or whatever. And I didn't even tell her, yeah, someone was held captive in the basement for 24 years and raped. I just and had seven incestual babies. I know. I was just like, yeah, it's pretty cute. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, that's man. Wrong, but that's really funny. Yeah. I just, well, that goes to prove you don't know what's going on in those real cute houses. You don't. Be suspicious of everything. I am always suspicious. You might be trying to kill me right now. Right now. Ugh. All right. So that was um, the love story of Elizabeth and Joseph. I'm the, sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, I was you like, it so is. so pissed off when I oh said that. Oh, my God. I just wanted to see your reaction. Oh, my God. It was worth it. I love you. You. <laughs> I sorry, swear to I'm God. Disgusting. You just made, like, my eyes almost well up. I was like, you've got to fucking be kidding oh me. Oh, my God. The Don't love story, my goddamn Don't ass. Don't be mad at me. I'm not I mad at you. you. It's okay. I was mad at that for a second <laughs> because you wouldn't, you wouldn't have come up with that. That would have been, I would have never. What said other people that. were calling that, and that that would that would right. have pissed me. Oh, <laughs> got me all worked up. Oh man, God, <laughs> shit. What did we get ourselves into? I know. Oh, this was a good one today. It I needed it. One. I was looking forward to it all day. Me too. I have a pile of crap on my desk that needs to, like an actual pile that I need to work on, but I'm not doing it. I'm going to go get my daughter and go home. Yeah, I'm going to wrap up my stuff, go check the logs, and then go home as well. Yeah, baby. Yes. <laughs> so thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, Check correlation story photos over on Instagram, off air with EP. Yeah. You can find us everywhere there. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>